I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. They all come from the unknown north. Talent, drive, and a pride worth paying for. But just because they're above the 49th parallel It doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate them just as well So give it up for these canucks Because our self-promotion sucks And if they all went away, we sure would miss them The Canadian star system Oh, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Canadian Star System, a podcast where we speak with some of Canada's most talented people and try to figure out what makes them so good and what makes Canada so bad at celebrating our own. Each episode, our stars not only shine, but also shine the spotlight on another Canadian talent who they want the rest of the world to know more about. I'm your host, Steve Patterson, or as the people in my neighborhood know me, Scarlett and Nora's dad, who doesn't seem to have a job. And speaking about not really having a job, here's my producer and co-host who has twice as many not real jobs as I do, Diana Francis. Hi, Diana. Hi, Steve. Just finishing up another job as I move on to this job. <laughs> I know. And they keep adding up, don't they? So it's the, many the money jobs. doesn't, but the responsibilities do. It's a fine line to walk. I have a question for you. Yes. Have you ever had anything named after you? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't think you No, I yeah, no, I haven't. I am named after something though. Okay. What are you named after? I am named after Diana, the goddess of the hunt and childbirth. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. see that that's where we were going with this. Yeah, that's what my mother named me after. And I can't remember if it's Greek or Roman mythology. I get them mixed up all the time. But yeah, I'm named after childbearing <laughs> and hunting. <laughs> I have a dog named Hunter, and I chose not to raise children. So, yeah, all the pieces slowly come together week by week for me. <laughs> if we're going as to where we're named after, 
my name is Stephen, spelt with a PH because after four sons, my mom badly wanted a girl. So she was ready to name that girl Stephanie. And then I came out named Stephen. So oh. there's a little personal history. Wow. And, and, and do you have anything named after you? The only thing I could think of is our mutual friend, hilarious buddy, Dave Hempstead. Him and I were drinking at his house one night. We were drinking many nights, but on this particular night, he tried to slide down the banister in front of his condo at the time. He's since moved. Then I tried to slide down right after, but he has a bigger butt than I do. So I fell <laughs> over it and almost cracked my head open on the stairs. And he named the banister Patterson Falls. And he has, <laughs> he's tried to put it on tours of Toronto, but no one, no takers yet. But that's, I know it's there. What a pale in comparison it is to this week's guest. Let's let's get him on here. Because there is a reason why you asked that question of there if is, we had anything I'm, named after us. And we went so far away with it, but this man has recently had something real named after him. We're going to talk about that. He is a multiple award-winning actor of stage and screen, including most recently a Canadian Screen Award for his work on Corner Gas Animated. He has also recently been named the winner of the August Schellenberg Award at the Imaginative Film and Media Arts Festival. He's the first ever Indigenous graduate of the University of Alberta's acting program, Recently appeared in the film Kayak to Klim 2, which earned him another award as Best Actor in 2018. He's also appeared on the show FBI's Most Wanted on CBS, and he has an arresting personality. <laughs> Not surprising, since he's played a police officer on TV for several seasons. He's a proud member of Cree Nation, a formidable debater, and here he is. He is Lorne Cardinal. Yay! Yay! Well, thank you very much. What an intro. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, sir. It's great seeing your smiling face because when we've had you on Debaters, you you are all business. You're not kidding around, even though we're a comedy show. It's part of my rugby background to win at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> even against your dear friend and mine, Craig Lozon, you guys debated against each other in Prince yeah. George. And you just, I mean, it was a it was a dismantling, my friend. Yes, yes. Well, he needs to be, you know, taught now and again. And I'll take any advantage I can get. We have so many things to try to get to in a limited time. In my research, I discovered that you're a cast member of FBI Most Wanted on CBS. I just want to make sure that is a drama, right? You're not on the run from anything? Like, There's no. two ways to be cast in a Most Wanted show. Well, for the first time, I'm not running from anything. <laughs> <laughs> I am part of the family support for the lead character played by Julian McMahon. Oh. I help look after his daughter, my granddaughter, in the show with Irene Bedard. That is fantastic. And that's still in production right now, is it? Or are you guys They're gearing up for season three. We'll see what happens to my character because COVID took a bite out of season two. I was in the first episode. And then the COVID numbers were crazy, and I felt unsafe traveling through three airports to get to New York to work. So I said, I'm going to put the brakes on this. I don't want to die for making TV. I'll <laughs> die for your show, but not making That's the right answer. That's quote. the right answer. That's because we can do it remotely. Yes. Please, please stay safe. It's ironic because yeah. you've never taken the, the safe route. The first time I met you, you and Craig Lozon, the aforementioned, were doing a play called Thunderstick out in Winnipeg. And this is during Corner Gas, which is a very busy schedule. This was the original Corner Gas, not the animation. So you're in the middle of Corner Gas and where most actors would say, I'm on a hit show during my downtime. I'm just going to relax. You did this play that is you both played both parts, right? On different nights. Yeah, we'd alternate every show. We'd switch roles. It was phenomenal experience 
experience, it's something I highly recommend to every actor. It's like, if you get a two-hander, why not learn both parts? It drives the stage management crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But it's mind-boggling to me that you would be able to do that because I, I mean, maybe it's just that I don't like to memorize things, but to memorize two parts... And it was a very physical show. So my real question was, how good did it feel to get paid to throw around Craig every night? That was my real question. It was awesome. And that show took a toll on us. We were like a couple of old hockey players. We were all chipped and bruised and battered because that <laughs> set fought back. You know, it not, wasn't supposed to. But yeah, the car would, wouldn't move sometimes. When he'd throw me up against it, he'd actually throw me up against it. In the middle of a show, we broke the car window, which wasn't supposed to break. But we smashed it. And it was kind of like, oops. <laughs> and we just kept right on going. <laughs> the show that I was able to see, I was out there was, I think it was literally right after you had broke. It was the first show you did with, they hadn't replaced the window yet. So it was a broken window on the car that was covered with something. And, but you guys were really, you were really going after it. That wasn't stage fighting as I've, as I've heard of it. You guys seem to be, you know, as you said, really physically throwing each other around. We pushed it as far as we could and we enjoyed every second of it. And we tried to end the show with a bag tag. We'll have to look that up. It's a Canadian term. And uh, so we both had matching bruises on our inner thighs from that every night. It's like, oh, why did we do this? Oh, yes, it's funny. (laughs) Some people are thinking that's a special at Zeller's. It's not. (laughs) I didn't know about your rugby experience as well, that you are uh, quite a high-level rugby player. Do you think that that helps that training with your acting and with your mental toughness? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything I do, even when I'm directing it, uh, there is my rugby training, which is teamwork. And if you're going to be a successful director, you have to realize you're working on a team. You may be the captain, but there's so many people working behind you. You have to pay respect to that and help them and they help you and they make you look really good if you do it right. I mean, I've worked with directors who are screamers, which never works out great because all they do is yell and everyone you know closes their ears and walks away. But if you're a team player, your teammates will try extra hard and go beyond the call of duty to make you look spectacular. And that's the kind of team you want to play on. That is great advice. And do you suggest that all actors and entertainers play team sports for that real reason, <laughs> for that very reason? And, and contact sport. Rugby is a tough sport, man. I've, I've only tried to play a couple of times and it is tough. It is. And I'm paying the price now. I was invincible back then, but uh, yeah. Now in my middle 50s, my back and knees are telling me otherwise. So the warranty is run out on both those. I would recommend for all performers and actors is to experience the excitement of working behind stage and behind the camera. Be a crew member, be a stage management, work backstage to see what those people do to make the actors look good. I went that route before I decided to be an actor. I wanted to check out to make sure if it's something I wanted to do. So I became an apprentice stage manager on a professional show in Kelowna. So I got to see real professional actors work in a rehearsal situation. And I also made their tea at every break and tea and <laughs> coffee. And that was my job. I got to watch them. And, uh, you know, I started answering questions the director was asking the actors. And I'd put my hand up and go, um, I know. And, and, the, and my <laughs> boss would look at me sideways and just slowly shake her head. <laughs> and I went, oh, right. I'm not I'm not part of this process. Okay. <laughs> Our listeners can't see Diana, but she's she, if she was nodding her head any more vehemently, it would come right off. What do you have to say there, Diana? Oh, I absolutely agree that anybody who wants to be an actor or in front of the camera or in front of an audience in any way, shape or form, I 
think it should be mandatory that you have to do some sort of job to show you how much work goes into preparing for the moment where everything stops so that you can say your line. Because I think a lot of times actors forget that how much you know, road has to get paved in order for your wheels to even, you know, hit it. Yeah. I went to theater school, but it was honestly the best education for me was the very first time that I ever directed a play, realizing how much, how much work goes into just that moment for the actor to step on stage and say the lines. So know your lines, say your lines, you know, don't be, don't be high maintenance, be part of the team. Find your light, say your lines, don't bump into the furniture. Best advice I ever got from Muggy Schellenberg. <laughs> you guys are running this yeah. interview with it. You guys don't need me here. That's my next question <laughs> is about. It's my way of trying to say, Steve, you have no idea how much work goes into this podcast so that you can show <laughs> up and just open your mouth and start talking. <laughs> you know what? Some of us like beer. We just don't care how it's made. Now, <laughs> speaking about the legendary August Schellenberg, Lauren, you just last year received the August Schellenberg Award from the Imaginative Film and Media Arts Festival. How much did that mean to you? It meant an incredible amount. And I was totally surprised by it. I wasn't expecting it at all. So it was a nice email I opened up and they said, hey, you're the guy this time around. And I was just so so honored because the previous winners are, you know, legends themselves. And, and uh, Tantu Cardinals, one of them, Michael Gray Eyes is another, and Tina Keeper, I think, I believe. It's just wonderful to be recognized for my body of work over the years, you know, and it's especially endearing because Augie was a mentor and a, a dear friend of mine as well. I get to know him and Joan and, and the girls really, really well and really close. So it was very moving, very moving. He was a prince of a man. Augie, I only had the opportunity to meet once through Craig, actually, I mm-hmm. met Augie, and he really did have this presence about him and this kindness that he carried himself yeah. with and other people and other actors were drawn to him in a room. If he started to speak, you knew to listen. And I feel like you are right there in that category. It's why I think you're perfect to be named for this award. You've blazed such trails Mm. for, for young actors, and you're so kind and generous with your time and with your mentorship. So I don't know if you can win this award again, but I don't know who, I mean, who else are they going to give it to? Craig Lozon? For God's sake, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll be the first two-peat winner. The two-peat winner. Uh, yeah. No, he's fantastic. And I'm just honored for being recognized. One story comes to mind of Augie, and that's the kind of man he was. When he was doing a remount of The Ecstasy of Rita Joe some 50 years after he did it, he was playing at the National Arts Center, and he was told that there was someone waiting in the backstage who would like to meet him. So he goes, oh, yeah, okay. So he goes out there in his baritone voice, hey, uh, Moggy Schoenberg. It's a little uh, Japanese lady, and she goes, I, I bet you don't remember me. And he's going, um, uh, no, I'm sorry. He says, she says, we were in grade three together, and those boys were teasing me and calling me names, and you stood up to them. You went up and you made them stop. Wow. So I just wanted to say thank you. And, you know, that is Augie in a nutshell. He was a voice for the underdog every single time. And, you know, it's that kind of, it's just ingrained in his genetics. So to be in anywhere near his sphere is, is quite an honor. I read a quote of his that I know that you follow, and it's obviously served you well. Be respectful of everyone you work with, and you'll always be able to get work, which is great advice, obviously, and easy to follow when you work with great people. But my question is, 
How do you do that when you work with, um, uh, what's the word, arseholes? There is a way you, you deal with that. And it's something my dad taught me as well, that <laughs> you use them as an example. You look at them and you see what kind of behavior that can lead to. So do you want to be like that person or do you want to be like this person? So you can see what that kind of attitude, where it will take you and what will happen. And that's the kind of message I try and uh, you know tell people or kids when we go to schools, when I go do school tours and stuff. It's be respectful. Be respectful to everybody you work with. It's such a small community that we work in that reputations get around really fast. I'm nodding vigorously again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know. Diana's going to nod her head off, but (laughs) it seems like such straightforward and easy piece of advice to follow, but it isn't always the case. Is there ever a, a situation you think of? I'm curious about this because, you know, Canadians in general have a friendly stereotype in general. I'm talking about there were, you know, polite, self-deprecating, almost to a fault. So where do you draw the line of being respectful with people, but also when you have to pushing back in a situation if if you have to push back? That's an individual choice. There are things that I will definitely push back against. And then there are ways to not push back, but to manipulate it to get your point of view in there without Mm ruffling feathers so it's a bit of you know you got to use a bit of psychology but there are some moments where you absolutely have to stand up and say no that is not going to happen and i've had that a few times it's basically problem solving it's standing up when you see a problem but when you do that you also have to bring in solutions bring in a couple of solutions to that problem so you're just not a you know one of those people who point out that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong you know, that's easy to do. The hard part is to bring in the solutions to correct those problems, to make an offer to the to the people going, hey, here's here's what we can do. We can do this or we can do this. That'll spark a, a conversation. Maybe somebody comes up with a better idea, which is great, but it wouldn't get to that better idea without your offering first. So that's one way to deal with those kind of situations. These are very wise words, my friend. You know, I generally see you in a situation where we're at a comedy function of some sort. I don't have a chance to talk <laughs> about yeah. things like this with you. And, you know, it's easy to see how you've forged this incredible career that you have and that you are legitimately a household name in Canada and and beyond now. So I'm respectful of you. It's easy to be. I learned all these things by mistake. So it's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been it didn't, I just didn't come out that I went, no, no, I showed up late. I did all these things that you're not supposed to do. I did them all. And I go, yeah, that's not the way I want to go anymore. So live and learn, as they say. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. Well, a lot of people do the living part, but not a lot do the learning part. So good on you. I'd be remiss, Lauren, while I have you, if I didn't ask of your thoughts on all the recent findings in former residential schools in Canada this year, in Kamloops and now in other areas. It's been a wake-up call to many Canadians, but obviously for yourself as a public figure, as a member of Cree Nation, Mm -hmm. and with a direct relation to residential schools, how has this affected you, sir? And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I mean... I can't, it's not that I can't believe it. I, I, I shudder to think about it. And I'm, as a general Canadian. It's horrific news. And this is just my opinion. I'm, I'm in no way, shape or form a, a spokesperson for all Indigenous people because everyone's got a different experience. But 
it's something that we all knew all in you know all people all, all nations all Cree nations and blackfoot and whatever wherever there was a residential school we knew in the community we knew there were missing kids we knew that there was abuse going on we knew there were food experiments we this is something that we we knew because we experienced it but then again we couldn't tell anybody because nobody would listen we couldn't tell the RCMP because they were the ones taking our kids on behalf of the church we couldn't tell the government because they were the ones who put the Indian agents in place to keep us on reserve. It's a story that we've, we've lived with for generations. We knew, and there will be more. There will be more, much more. And we're not including, this is graphic and horrific, but we're not including the young babies that were incinerated because the grounds were frozen and they couldn't bury them, so they just incinerate them. There's stories of that as well. So there's so many that will not be found, will not be counted. The last thing we need is another pointless study, because where, where did the last one get us? We got a nice published report. The government feels good for being proactive, but nothing changes. So it's about time that, you know, we get, get the political will to actually repair the relations between Indigenous communities and the rest of Canada and actually realize there is systemic racism in this country and it needs to be nipped in the bud. It's already too late. It should have been done generations ago, but that's where we sit. And it's and, and for people to, to see and hear about these discoveries, good. Yes. And we're not, you know, not blaming everybody, but it's, hey, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And willful ignorance is part of the problem. And the way to combat that, to help heal our nations, is for self-education. Don't wait. Yes. Don't wait to ask the first Native person you see. There's Google. There's uh, resources everywhere available. You have to take it upon yourself to learn, to educate yourself. About not every country, just in your neighborhood, in your region. What's the yeah. closest reserve? What's their history? Put it upon yourself to go find out. And that's how we educate, and that's how we open up our eyes to each other. You know, I agree about the people not knowing uh, people as my I'm part of the problem because I didn't educate myself enough. I'm now having frank discussions with my kids about it, and I mm. hope that they do make this part of the Canadian curriculum so that it has to be talked about because it's been ignored, obviously, for for far too long. And yeah. I hope that this is a changing moment in history this this time. I, I, I really, really hope so. And I hope that we can all be part of the solution, as you say. Can we talk a little bit about the We Matter campaign for youth that oh, you're involved sure. with? Yeah, that was another nice surprise. I was just asked to, to give my thoughts to the youth in this country. And it was just part of the teachings that I've been taught over the years from my dad and, and other people and stuff. And, and it's about self-love and it's and it's a universal, universal theme for everybody to take the time just to acknowledge your own gifts and your own accomplishment, because everybody is different. Everybody has gifts. And where I come from in the Cree belief, creator is endowed everybody with a gift. And if you're not using that gift, then you're disrespecting the creator. So there are gifts and you should be able to tap into them, acknowledge them and use them to the fullest because nobody is like you. I mean, I find that easy to believe. And so does my my wife for me personally, but it's never in a positive context. It's always, it's, yeah. so how can you not hear anything I say till the fourth time? But that's a different, uh, a different topic completely. That's a form dude. of tinnitus. 
<laughs> Selective hearing, I think my mom used to call it with my dad. Let's talk Corner Gas a little bit, if we could. Yeah. Just wrapped on production of the animated series. What an incredible story Corner Gas is as a Canadian success story to take off as a sitcom based, you know, in a rural community to have incredible numbers, not just by Canadian standards, just by themselves, then to have a feature film made, then to have a new life as an animated series to keep together the original cast. What do you think was the magic that made that show what it was? Was it a combination of things? Because what an incredible cast that was. To mm -hmm. I think it was a combination of things. Number one, having the most brilliant writers available for uh, Diana Francis as well, because she won a shiny little thing too, didn't she? Oh, oh what's oh, that? Yeah. Oh, it's in the room behind her. <laughs> oh, Every oh, episode somehow we move talk it over about... A little bit. Every episode we talk about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, is, it was a combination of having brilliant writers and a brilliant cast. And our chemistry was, it's one of those rare things where you actually get eight people together and they actually like each other and they work well with each other. And we were blessed to have that because I've been in cast where, you know, people can't stand each other and they work together and pretend they're this family. And in reality, they can't, you know, but we never had that problem. We, we were like a, a big a multiracial family we had you know ups and downs like any any group but at the end of the day they're you know very dear people who mean a lot in my life and i think the characters we played is the, are the reasons that people across the country fell in love with this show because they all reminded people of someone they knew from back home <laughs> not every day i flew to cape breton one time and it was the first time I was asked by security to step aside so I could frisk them and they could take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, so I'm frisking them as people are going through the metal detectors, right? And they're going, hi, Nick, hi, Nick, there, boy, hi, Nick. <laughs> Had you ever considered yourself playing a police officer for, what is it, a decade of your life? No, but I got to say, I look pretty good in Rayon. You do, you do <laughs> funny. You, you carried it off, for sure. <laughs> He's a fun character to play. He's like all characters, on, on, uh, especially in a comedy, they're two-dimensional. And one of the things I really loved about the show and about the writers is that they never made an issue about or drew focus to the fact that Davis Quinton was a Cree man. I think the only time they mentioned it is when I said it, right. when I was trying to scalp tickets. And uh, my partner, Tara Spencer Naren, says, you can't do that. And I said, why? Because I'm a Cree man? <laughs> no, because you're a cop and it's illegal. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, right. I remember yeah. that joke. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting one, too. Because, again, again, it's that pushback thing, right? Because in the script, they wanted me to say Native man. Yeah. And so I had a discussion with David Story, our director. And I said, well, I never identify myself as a Native man. I'm a Cree man. And that's how I identify. And I feel stupid saying I'm a Native man. It's, no, I'm Cree. It's my people. It's my nation. So we had a many, many takes. And I said Cree man all the time. And mm -hmm. uh, they kept trying to get me to say Native man, Native man. And I said, and they said, no, just do one. Just do one just so we can have it. And and I said, yeah, okay, let's do it. So we did it then again. And I said, Cree man. And they were just kind of like, I go like, I, I can do this all day. <laughs> and if you're not careful, I'll start speaking Cree. And then you'll yeah, be. And then it's all. And it's all. <laughs> yeah. Good now for you for do? standing your ground on that. And then, yeah. I mean, I was wondering where that joke was going to go. With Tara Spencer, this is, I mean, this is a bit on the nose for this show. Because the whole mandate is to talk about Canadians that we all know and then for them mm -hmm. to introduce new Canadians doing important things. I don't know Tara very well, but I'm, you know, we're Twitter friends and I know that she's tweeted 
at some point, I would rather try to explain theoretical physics than try to explain the Canadian star system to my <laughs> children. It is this thing where you and the cast of Corner Gas were at the upper, upper echelon of the Canadian star system. You'd be the most recognizable people as an ensemble cast in Canada. And still, you've got to go audition for other parts. We just don't seem to have the number of productions to move on. Or, you know, once you're at the, on a show like that, that's the show. Mm -hmm. So where do you go from there? Do you feel like that is a situation that's, you know, still the case in Canada? Do you feel like it is improving where you can be on, go from maybe one hit show to the next in Canada? Uh, no, for some reason, they, they don't allow that. <laughs> they, look, they look down on success some reason so it's still the same thing it's like to be considered legitimate in this country we have to go down south to strike it rich there and then they go oh we should get him he's canadian now that i've you know moved to la or new york or whatever it's a weird thing but that's i've experienced it on all levels when i was in edmonton they wouldn't hire me because I wasn't from Toronto. Then I went to Toronto and then they wouldn't hire me because I wasn't from New York or L.A. <laughs> What's going on here? And it's, it's for every actor in this country, too. I've talked to people in Halifax, actors in Halifax, and they say if they're shooting a big feature film here, the local actors never get a chance to read for any of the lead roles. It's always cast out of Toronto. And if they don't have Toronto representation, they don't get considered at all. They don't think they're legitimate or dedicated or, you know. It's just ridiculous. So, you know, there's this feature film shooting in your own neighborhood and you can't even get a, a bit part in it because you don't have a Toronto agent. It's ludicrous. That is crazy. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. We've only got, mm -hmm. you know, so many people to work with. If we can't yeah. grow this industry from within, if we're constantly having to attach American names and or Toronto names, I'll put it out mm -hmm. there when you're doing local productions. That's what stops local productions, right? It's what doesn't let mm -hmm. them grow and let the actors promote themselves up the ladder. Corner Gas Animated is the perfect example. You right. know, here we are, finished our fourth season, number one in the ratings, number one in the comedy network. So their solution, let's cancel it. Was it canceled? <laughs> I wasn't sure yeah. if the run fit. Yeah. They canceled yeah. it. Yeah, our fourth season is our last season. So now I, when I see Brent, they said, so how's that uh, animated movie coming along? <laughs> let's see if we can squeeze out of this baby. You know, we've gone 17 years. Let's, let's, let's push it. I'd say start warming up the pipes for Corner Gas the Musical, Lauren, because it, yeah. can't, it can't be far away. How does animated voice acting compare for you to all the other things you do? Because you're obviously a great live screen actor. We haven't even gotten into the Shakespearean training that you mm -hmm. have and have made great use of. Uh, how does voice acting compare in your world? I, I love voice acting. I love being in the studio because it is a different set of skills. It's now that you have, people can't see me, they have to relate through my voice. So I'm forced to pitch it higher, lower, make it more of an exciting adventure for the old eardrums. So that's the thing to keep in mind when you're in studio and finding what my body does to help make that sound, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you find yourself doing weird postures and stuff when you're behind the microphone just to get that sound, that expression, that that feeling out on the airwaves. So it's quite it's quite fun that way. I, I enjoy the challenge. What was it like seeing an animated version of yourself, the actual animation of Officer Davis? The first incarnation I saw, I was very boxy. <laughs> <laughs> so the only thing I asked of the animators was to give me a waist. That's all I asked for, just a waste. <laughs> and I'm left-handed, so make sure Davis is left-handed. They had everything on the right-hand side, which is just 
you know, no. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, you got to shift stuff over and put the gun on the other side because he's a lefty and you're drawing a righty. So, and that was my big input. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it was me, if someone was making one of me, I would demand the Ned Flanders treatment where he rips <laughs> off his shirt and he's just got inexplicable abs because, you know. <laughs> That's the only yeah. time it's going to happen. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Let's it. ask this question because we alluded to it in your intro. We talked about getting things named after us. Mine is obviously dumb. It's a stairwell from a drunken accident. You're getting a theater named after you, a real bonafide theater now called the Roxy in Edmonton will soon be the Lorne Cardinal Theater. What is that like? That is another huge honor because I love the Roxy. I've done many, many of productions there. Actually, Thunderstick was part of the Theater Network stable that we did one year. We toured across the country with oh, that good. show, Craig and I. Yeah, it's the Black Box Theater that they have there. There's two, the main stage, which is like 250 seats-ish. That's the Nancy Power Theater. And then downstairs, there's a Black Box multi-purpose room and seats about 90 to 100. And uh, that's the one they're naming after me, which is totally an incredible honor. I was, again, surprised and touched that they would even think that I deserve such a thing. It opens in the new year. I'll be there with bells on and put on my fancy dress and uh, <laughs> off we go. What is the main, other than your name, you know, attached, I imagine, in some form, is there a situation where there's a constant pair of seats there that no one can occupy on the off chance you're in town? Is it a bar tab? I need to know because I need to know whether I should go after getting one named after me or not. Uh, I'm not sure, but those are good things to put in my rider. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we talked about the space and the space is going to be a, one of those safe spaces, a welcoming space for all artists to come in. Right. We're using the Cree word tawau, which means there is space for you here. We have space. And that's the kind of sentiment we want to put out there as well. That's perfect, my friend. I can't think of a, of mm -hmm. a more deserving person to have their name on that space. And I know that you'll... I know that you'll be out there, uh, of course, with your, uh, with whatever you mm. want to wear on for the induction. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. Hey, Steve. Oh, hey, Diana. What's on the docket for today's fake ad? First of all, I love the word docket. Let's have that on record. You know, I'd like to mix it up today. I love that the whole point of this show is for our Canadian guests to shine the spotlight on someone they think should be a star. But what about me? You want our celebrity guests to shine a spotlight on you? You're kind of right in the middle of the light here, Steve. No, 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 no. You're not getting my idea here. I want to shine a spotlight on someone, too. Oh, I get it. And I love it. So you're saying use our fake ad space today to shine a mini spotlight on someone that we think everyone should know more about? Exactly. A mini spotlight, or as a human would call it, a flashlight. So today's flashlight, I'd like to share about someone that we've already mentioned a couple times in this interview, Craig Lozoff. Not only is Craig a hilarious comedic actor known for his many roles in Air Farce, he's also an incredible dramatic actor with shows like Trickster and the upcoming zombie frontier movie Ithaqua. Plus, he does a great job in Shakespeare, as proven by his amazing run as Oberon in Midsummer Night's Dream at Stratford. And if you cast him in your show, he promises to learn everyone's lines, not just his own, and play all the parts. That's just good value, though you do have to pay him a little extra for that. Sounds like quite the Canadian treasure. 
He is a Canadian treasure. And I'm not just saying that because I officiated his wedding, which I did. You did? Wow, you do weddings, Steve? Oh, it's too bad I've already agreed not to get married to my boyfriend. It is too bad because I had a number of great lines planned. Craig Lozon, actor, comedian, friend, and a hell of a guy to get a bag tag from if you're interested. To find out more about Craig Lozon, be sure to check out our show notes wherever you're currently listening to this podcast. I'm on it. That's where I'm listening to it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And now back to the Canadian star system. Before we introduce our second guest today, I have a little section here that we call Quick Questions. Quick Questions! So the, uh, the idea here is your answers don't necessarily have to be short, just quick. <laughs> How about truthful? Truth, they can be truthful <laughs> or not. Well, oh, okay. The problem when interviewing really talented actors is I never really know. <laughs> All right, here we go. We touched briefly on your rugby playing, so could you please tell us what position did you play in rugby? I played them all when I found my true calling, which is uh, a flanker. I knew I was not a prop because I'm six foot and I was 160 pounds and I popped up like an unwanted. <laughs> I knew that wasn't a place for me. Yeah. Flanker is where uh, I was. Uh, I was blindside flanker. What is your favorite Shakespearean character to play and or which Shakespearean character would you most like to play? I would love to play Richard III at some point. It's fantastic character. I, I love it. I haven't seen many. I haven't seen any productions of it, really. But uh, that's something I would love. I was influenced heavily by uh, Sir Laurence Olivier on his film version of Richard III. So that's always stuck with me. And 
the courting scene of Lady Anne is one of those, you know, one of the brilliant scenes where it starts where he's he's trying to woo her over the corpse of her dead husband, who he killed. <laughs> and she knows it. And by the end of the scene, she's agreed to wear his ring and meet him later. So that's awesome. Lauren, can I tell you, this is a fun fact. I got into theater school by uh, auditioning with the Richard III opening monologue. Oh, nice. I was in grade 12. I'm a girl and I had a bad wig on and like a hump on my back and a big cape. And I can still to this day do that entire opening monologue. Can't necessarily remember people's names. Oh, I could. (laughs) I won't. I know you could. I know. (laughs) I used that particular monologue in a, a film audition I was doing. I found it a bit offensive, the requirement. Because it was a native character, and this director said, you know, uh, speak your language if you can, as if it'll ever be used in the movie, and tell us the story of your people, and and uh, use an indigenous language if you know it and stuff. And so I went, okay. So I did the uh, Richard III speech in a Scottish brogue, and I said, well, here's a, here's a little something I picked up in my, in my travels. And so Scottish being an indigenous people to Scotland, <laughs> and Richard III to show that you know, I can do more than, than, and then the character I saw that I, I didn't get it, surprise, but I saw the character that I auditioned for in the finished thing and there was no, there was no language. No. And then he just, he had one scene and then he was gone. And it's like, yeah. So why go through all that? And, you know, it's just ridiculous. I would like to see you play Richard III. You could, and you could do whatever. I'd actually like to see you do it in a Scottish brogue, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a police officer, true, but you, you've played one on TV. If you could make up one, new law that people had to follow what would it be i would have to say it's the uh, it would be the a-hole law yeah if you're an a-hole the uh, the other person gets to do something to you (laughs) (laughs) and there'll be no repercussions it might require some attitude adjustments for some people (laughs) i love (laughs) otherwise they might have a tough day i love it if you could arrest people just for being arseholes and just be like it's the anti-arsehole law oh my god that's it yeah Go cool off for a couple hours. You know? much, there you go. Think think about what you did. How much and off you go. better would the yeah. world be? I love it. Oh, man. This one might be a loaded question. Favorite celebrity hot dog eater, 12-time consecutive Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest world champion Joey Chestnut or Brent Butt? We know Brent likes a good chili dog when he can. Oh, man. I'd have to be a hometown boy and go with the Brent Butt. I think so. I've seen his technique. <laughs> Those mandibles are those mandibles are scary when you see them up close and in action. They're kind of like chipmunks fighting inside his teeth. There, it's kind of a hor- horrific thing to see. It's like, oh my god, there's somebody in there. And finally, which Oscar do you think is truly grouchier, Sesame Street's Oscar the Grouch or Corner Gas's Oscar, Eric Peterson? You haven't experienced grouchy until you've been called a jackass up close. <laughs> And he's such a sweetheart of a man, so it's funny that he he plays that so well. Yes. Those are the quick questions. Those are all the questions we have for Lauren Cardinal, who's going to introduce us to our second guest now. Except for this. We just like to do this every week, if you would, Lauren. Complete these two sentences, just quick off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. The Canadian star system is... As rare as Neptune's sky dust. (laughs) (laughs) First time we've had that one. (laughs) Wow. And being the next door neighbor to the United States is like <laughs> having a malodorous sleeping partner. <laughs> Excellent use of malodorous. 
I know. <laughs> I don't think you need other people writing your words because those are two of the best answers we've ever had. Lauren, thank you so much. And please don't go anywhere. You're going to stay here with us while we meet the guest you're introducing us to now. But thanks so much for your, for all the answers today. Nice. Now, would you introduce us, please, <laughs> to the guest that you brought? It is my great honor to introduce Chris Robinson, Executive Director of CAT, Canadian Animal Assistance Team. Hero bar none. Woo! Well done. God, you're good with the introduction today. Man, what a wordsmith. Hi, Chris. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm great, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. No problem. It's been a lot of fun just listening. <laughs> First of all, easy question right out of the gate because you work with animals a lot. So let's do a softball one to start. Cats or dogs, which are better and why? Go. Oh, oh that's a that's a terrible thing. to. <laughs> I would say uh, I like them both, but I probably lean towards dogs. I just mm -hmm. find that I can uh, I I connect with them and I really. Yeah, I, I definitely am more of a dog than, than a cat person. Nodding vigorously again over here. God, <laughs> Diana, she's really good. She's so excited. Yeah. She's, she's really in agreement with everything this episode. Chris, in our short time together, when we've been waiting for uh, you know technical difficulties to be resulted, we know that you have some other animals to choose from out there. Um, just so the listeners know, you have how many miniature donkeys right outside your window right now? I have seven miniature donkeys, a couple of horses. <laughs> I have three cats and a dog. Yeah, see, because it takes three cats to equal the worth of one. I'm a dog person, <laughs> obviously. We're going to get into cat in just a minute. I mean, the the organization, <laughs> not the animal. How is it that you and Lorne uh, have gotten to know each other? And he's brought you on here today. Well, it was uh, several years ago that Lorne met the then executive director of CAT and just connected very strongly. And then I took on the position and Lauren was really very willing to be supportive of our organization and our work. And so I said to him that I think that if he is going to be a spokesperson for us and, and help to promote our work, that he should get up close and personal with what we do. So I invited him and his wife, Monique, onto one of our projects and we threw them in the deep end and they were helping with recoveries and surgical recoveries and we taught them a fair bit and hopefully they had a lot of fun but they got to see firsthand what we do we should probably talk about what you do because i've now we've jumped the gun and we've got lauren cardinal doing <laughs> surgery on animals and no one knows why <laughs> so, uh, what, what does the canadian animal assistance team do please basically we're a canadian charity and we take volunteer veterinary teams into mostly remote and underserved communities that have a lot of animals and really would like to work with us to come up with a solution to help with the animal welfare. And so we set up MASH style animal temporary hospitals right in the community so everybody can get access to the services. There's no cost to the pet owners. We basically go into communities that have invited us and we do a pilot program. And then after that, we go for two to five years annually and work with them. Which is an incredibly worthwhile thing and might fly under the radar, right? For many people, as far as a cause to be supported, because, you know, we're trying to constantly figure out what to do and how to better serve many of the communities in Canada anyway. We don't think about the animals that, out th that are out there. And what do you say to people who would say, well, we've got to take care of, of the people in the communities first before we take care of the animals that are out there. 
Well, it's interesting because they're they're really very interconnected. Especially when you've been to a lot of these communities, there's a lot of people who love their animals. They don't want them to not be able to get the kind of services that are going to help them as far as their welfare goes. There's different diseases that animals can carry that humans can get. And so we address that through vaccination and deworming programs. And so we work with the one welfare idea or principle in that when you help the people, you also need to help the animals. You also need, it also helps the community as a whole. So it's all one big package. And so definitely having been to a lot of these communities and seen how much people love their animals and are extremely eager to get the services that we can provide, it's definitely helping the people as well. I hadn't thought of the, of course, the the direct connection. I wasn't sure that the one one welfare system was. Is it predominantly the same domesticated animals that you would find in urban centers, cats and dogs, or are there, you know, are you are you tending to horses and things like that out there as well? Our organization basically does cats and dogs. And it depends on the community we go to. Some communities, very few cats, and then other ones where there's a there's a lot of cats. So it really is it depends on what part of the country we're in. But those are the two predominant species that we work with, yeah. And Lauren, what did you do with Cat on your first trip up there? I'm very curious now. You were you were hands on. Yeah, I was uh, spent a lot of time going, oh wow, cool, <laughs> oh. And then I was also on the receiving end when the little cats and little dogs would come out of their anesthesia after they're being spayed or neutered or whatever. So I'd be uh, making sure that they were okay, and and I would just cuddle with them. And there's nothing like that says love than seeing a doped up dog looking at you going, oh, wow, that was something. <laughs> I was just incredibly overwhelmed and impressed by the, by the volunteer techs and, and veterinarians that were there applying their trade and selflessly giving their skills to these communities. So that's one of the reasons I want to promote CAT as much as possible because the work they do is just incredible and such selfless, giving, generous people. So they deserve a lot of credit. How would the animals get there in the first place to a remote area? Would they have to be brought from somewhere else in sort of an adoptive program? Or are these just animals that have been up there for a long time that are, you know, been reproducing within the family? Maybe reproducing within the family is not the way to put it. <laughs> I think a lot of the communities, the, the anim animals have been part of the community for a very, very long time. They've been there for, mm -hmm. you know, generations. And they're a very important part of the community. And the reason for having those animals has changed over the years, but they're definitely something that I, is generationally has been there. And then there are some communities that some animals have been brought in from outside communities and things like that. So it's, I think it's a mixture depending on the location. Are there a lot more working animals in there in, in terms of, you know, cats to kind of hunt things and, and dogs to help with more outdoor lifestyles up there or is it or is it the same situation as these these animals are pets and companions for the most part there's definitely a mixture and again it really depends on the community so a lot of the inuit communities that we go to that are really really far north there is definitely a lot of sled dogs not right. as they're still used for hunting and for transportation in some of the communities they're also you know there's races between different communities with their dogs and stuff like that uh, some of them are used for protection. One of the communities we were in, the 
one of the gentlemen that owned a dog said that one of the things that is interesting in a in one of their it's a very small community and they said if there's a polar bear within five miles of the community every dog in the community is barking its head off they know that bear is there and the people actually listen to what the dog's saying and they get out there and they chase the bear (laughs) off before it gets into the community so you know there's different reasons but there's also you know there's also ones that are just their pets they you know they there are animals that live in the houses and are uh, raised as a pet and so that's something that's kind of been evolving and changing and and so it depends on the animal and depends on the individual person definitely uh lots of different uses and the cats are either pets they're not usually kept for anything that is like they're not usually kept for something like mousing or you know some kind of hunting or something like that that's just something they do for fun mostly if they're pets they're Small package delivery that's it yeah exactly just it's the, they're the amazon of the uh, rural areas i love it you just put, uh, put something on the back of a cat and let them run it over one thing i love about the program of course it's volunteer driven the people that are doing it really want to be doing it but another aspect to it which i think is is an important one for people to know is that obviously travel is a big challenge of the organization just getting there to these areas to to help out and one way that people can help if they don't have the time and expertise to get to these areas themselves is to donate aeroplan miles to people that can travel because those have been building up for a lot of people who haven't been traveling over the last course of the year. And I know lots of people want to get away on holidays for themselves, but it's a nice way to think that those miles can be put to great work for an organization like this that can help send people that that can be there to help. Yes? Oh, absolutely. Our aeroplan program is so important to us. We wouldn't we wouldn't get where we need to be without it. Some of the communities, because of their remoteness, we have to get to where the closest place is that we can go by aeroplan. And then we still have to continue on smaller planes or trains or automobiles or whatever the heck we have to do to get there. But traveling around and having a team of people go to these communities, it's incredibly important to us that we have as many aeroplan miles as we can, because it's a lot of the way that we get our people to where they need to be. And can I just ask, is part of the program as well, when you get up there, are you able to you know, pass on some of the measures that people that go to the vet all the time would be able to just say the vet does. So is a part of the program educating people in, in some of their own care of the animals because they don't get to have those regular visits? Oh, absolutely. And I would say that one of the really interesting things is that when we're in communities, it's like a knowledge sharing that we do because we're learning just as much because this is a uh, often a different culture from what we are used to. And we're learning all sorts of things from the community members as well and how they see their animals and what kinds of things they do with them. And so we basically ask, is there anything that you have questions about? Is there anything that you need some help with? Whatever we can do to help. And so humane education is a huge part of helping with animal welfare. So there are groups that we work with that will help in communities that want to have a a stronger humane education component. But our everyday work with the pet owners, uh, we have great opportunity to just sit down and chat and 
let's hear about, you know, your experience and what's happened with your pet and what can we do to help? Because you have to be also aware of, you know, you can't necessarily make a recommendation and help somebody with something when there's a lack of services available. So you have to be able to work with what they've got and help out as much as you can. One thing I'll just say that I was really struck by and, and really appreciative is when they were spaying the animals in their mash style hospital, the kids from the community were able to come in and watch and see and see what veterinarians and vet techs do and, and watch their animal go through the process and come out the other side all doped up and wait for them and help them with their recovery. It was great to, for the opportunity for kids to, to see behind the curtain of their vet mm. and possibly, you know, inspire, inspire them to see seeing them in action is inspiring. I'm curious to know as well what COVID has done to change things, because I know that for so many people in, in my world, people really kept their sanity because of their pets, or they adopted new pets during the pandemic because they were going to be home. So I know a lot of people in the sort of the were kind of cleaning out the local shelters. But I imagine that for some of these more remote communities, if you weren't able to get up there to do spaying and neutering, that the population of the animals could potentially, within the course of the pandemic, really get out of control. Post-pandemic now, what do you, post-pandemic, as we're sort of, things are easing up a little bit, (laughs) what do you feel like it's going to be like when you go back into some of these communities? It's been very frustrating to not be able to go in. And one of the things that we, at the beginning of the pandemic, is we talked to all our different, we had uh, eight communities that we had lined up that we were going to. And that we all and we had to postpone all of them, obviously. And so we talked to the community leaders and some of our people that are in the community that are helping us with organization and just said, you know, what what can we do to help out? Like, is there anything? And we started something called Cat Community Corner. It was a blog, but anybody in any of the communities that wanted to have access to it would could get it. And uh, what we said is we want it to be defined by the community members. We don't want to say, here's what we can, you know, teach. We want to address topics and answer questions from people that are really relevant to what uh, what is of concern to them. And so uh, one of the things we were kind of laughing about a little bit is that one of the blogs was, okay, you have a dog, it's not spayed. So what, a, what can you do to reduce the risk of your dog getting pregnant again? And so we would go through all of that stuff on that blog. And then the next blog would be, okay, so your dog's pregnant. (laughs) What do you do? (laughs) So we were, you know, helping, hoping to reduce the risk of pregnancy. But then if they got pregnant, okay, so what can we, you know, some of the questions were about the best way to take care of the litter and how soon can the puppies leave and things like that. And so And we answered things like, if your dog's got a face full of quills, what can you do when you don't have a vet Mm. there? And that kind of thing. And we ran that program for a year and kept getting all sorts Mm. of topics sent in to us. And so that was our way of of reaching out. And now I think when we are finally going to be going back, we're hoping to do one of the projects in the late fall, that it's a very localized one so that we feel we can have some COVID protocols and as long as everything keeps going in the positive direction, and then we'll be back at it full speed next year. But it's going to be in it's going to be crazy. Chris, thank you so much for uh, sharing the cat program with us today, and best of luck because uh, you know I know that things as they start travel starts to come up again in in the world. This service is much needed in many communities around Canada. So 
thank you so much for for doing and thank you for introducing me to the concept of a a mash unit but for animals because now in my head i picture dogs and cats as doctors in a mash unit i think it's a great idea for a show and uh lauren if you don't make this show i'm going to all right and yeah please go to um, what's the website for people to get more information chris it's www.caat-canada.org. And I want to thank Lauren very much for asking me to come on this show because he's become a good friend. We've been known each other for a while now. His support is, is just amazing. So thank you, Lauren. Uh, thank you, Chris. I appreciate everything that you've done. And I have to give a huge shout out because I would not have been paired up with Kat if it was not for the incredible Monique Herto who saw Donna Lassiter, the former executive director, uh, speak at a alumni uh, alumni award, which she won at Thompson Rivers University. I was doing a keynote as they gave me an honorary doctorate the year before. So I was doing a keynote. Then we heard Donna speak. And then Monique and Donna hit it off. And she said, you've got to meet this gal and see what they do. And I'm a sucker for animals, kids, and rugby players. I'll do anything to help support those three. So when I heard the work that they were doing, I was all over it. And, you know, that is something that the historic work they did in uh, during Katrina down in New Orleans, when that flooding happened, that they went down there and they saved thousands, if not tens of thousands of animals by selflessly, again, putting themselves, putting the animals before themselves. So, you know, it's it, it, that kind of heart and, and passion I, I, I support any day of the week. Wow. And thank you so much for having Chris on for this fine cause and not uh, that other organization that sends wayward rugby players to remote communities uh, <laughs> to just eat people's food. So thank you for that. Lauren, what is up next for you, my friend, other than the ribbon cutting ceremony that I'm sure is coming up on the soon to be named Lauren Cardinal Theater? Right now, we're just busy uh, establishing our production company uh, through and through films, Monique and okay. I. And She's right now on the World Trade, the World Trade Center for Vancouver on the advisory committee. So she's getting our international connections all lined up and using and giving her expertise to those people as well. So we're, you know, in the process of, of doing that, you know, to get something done in this country is a long process. So that's where we're at. We've got a list of projects that we're working on and uh, looking for international partners to get her done. Thank you so much, sir, for sharing everything that you're doing. The career you've already put together is already, I would say, uh, would be more than enough by most people's standards. And you just keep going and just keep going into different areas. So uh, thanks so much for everything. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for inviting me to the Canadian Star System. <laughs> oh, you're in it. You're in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Nice. Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot. The Canadian Star System is produced by Diana Francis and Steve Patterson in association with the Apostrophe Podcast Network. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit our website at canadianstarsystem.ca where you can find links to their work and their socials. Speaking of socials, you can follow at Canadian Star Pod and at Apostrophe Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Our editor and sound technician is Donovan Deschner of Fracture Ephemer Productions. Music by Mark Camilleri of Imagine Sound Studios. Special thanks to Terry O'Reilly, Debbie O'Reilly, Callie O'Reilly, and Nancy Patterson, who is an honorary O'Reilly. And since you're doing such a good job of listening to the credits, there's a bonus clip for you after Steve sings it out. So give it up for these good notes. Because our self-promotion sucks And if they are
Canadian star system. Yeah, it's something I can't I, I can't understand. I wonder if Bruno Drusi had this problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when your show runs 18 years, you don't really have to look for another one, frankly. <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if you're looking for logs for 18 years, you're you know, your time's taken up. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.